0: You're listening to Kalam Institute's podcast series Seerah Life of the Prophet by Sheikh Abdul Nasir Jangda. Visit us on the web at kalaminstitute.org or find us on Facebook at facebook.com/kalaminstitute. institute walhamdulillah <laughs> wa salatu salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa ajma'in. So inshallah continuing with our study of the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi sallam. We've, in the last few sessions, we've been going through the ahadith on, about the night of al-Isra wal-Mi'raj And as I explained at the beginning of when we kind of, when we started um, You know, studying the, this night and the journey of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasalam, There are numerous ahadith uh, related to the incident of al-Isra wal-Mi'raj and some of the scholars, some of the classical scholars of sirah uh, such as the author of Subulul Huda wal Rashad, one of probably the most um, uh, comprehensive and detailed uh, collections of the sirah of the Prophet ﷺ. What they've basically done is that they t- they've taken all the authentic narrations, compiled them together, omit... Uh, then they've omitted the repetition and pieced it together to basically create a general sequence of events. And that's kind of how we're going through the journey of Al Isra al Mi'raj. Otherwise there are numerous, numerous traditions in a hadith because whether the Prophet either you know, informed the Sahaba about the experiences of that night on different occasions as was relevant to different circumstances, whether that was the case or maybe it was just simply the fact that certain Sahaba were able to latch on to certain details from the overall journey of the Prophet ﷺ and they were able to narrate (coughs) a certain part of the story in either case, in either scenario um, that is generally the nature of the narrations about al-Isra al miraj But we're kind of going through it comprehensively. So the last session that we had, we covered the details where the Prophet ﷺ completes the journey of al-Isra. There are two parts to this night. Al-Isra, the journey by night from Mecca to Jerusalem, wal-mi'raj, and the ascension above the heavens. In the previous session, we completed the journey of Al-Isra. The Prophet ﷺ reaches Jerusalem. He enters Al-Masjid Al-Aqsa, Bayt Al-Maqdis. And there the Prophet ﷺ and Jibreel ﷺ offer two rak'ahs of prayer as is the right of every house of Allah upon the believer who attends there. And then the narration goes on to tell us that all of the souls of the Anbiya ﷺ have been gathered there for the Prophet ﷺ, and we mentioned last time that Jibreel ﷺ tells the Prophet ﷺ that these are all the prophets and messengers of God that Allah has sent throughout time up until you. And the second narration mentions that the Prophet ﷺ was able to actually recognize a few of them. Some of them seemed familiar to the Prophet ﷺ, and that was... Definitely through the familiarity that he had developed through divine revelation and the fact that they belonged to the same brotherhood, the same fraternity. In either case, and, and I mentioned last time how the ahadith of the Musnad of Imam Ahmad mentioned the fact that there are a hundred thousand, some narrations say three hundred thousand prophets that were sent throughout time, alambiyah. So that means all of them were gathered. So you can imagine how filled the space was and how, you know, exciting and empowering it must have been for the Prophet Sallallahu to see three hundred. If we saw three hundred thousand people, let alone three hundred thousand Muslims, we'd be blown away. It'd be so overwhelming, so empowering. But then imagine 300,000 Prophets of Allah. So it was such an empowering moment. It was such a moment of just It was such a fulfilling and satisfying, gratifying occasion. Where the Prophet did not need any vindication. The Prophet was a pillar of conviction. He believed in the message that he was preaching and teaching. But nevertheless you know, with all the difficulty and all the adversity that he had been facing for so long, you can imagine how empowering it must have been, how gratifying it must have been, how fulfilling it must have been that the people in Mecca can say whatever they want, but look at here, look at this, every single Prophet throughout the history of mankind is gathered here together to congratulate me, to welcome me, to appreciate me. And so that, that definitely had a very powerful impact on the Prophet Wasallam. And so now the narration goes on to mention, and we talked about this last time, that then one narration specifically says, Jibreel salam called the Adhan, and then stepped forward and called the, called the Iqamah. And after that, all, all of the Anbiya who were present, they're lined up in their sufuf, in their lines. And the narration actually mentions, فَتَدَافَعُوا that they kind of kept deferring to one another, you lead, no you lead, no you lead, no you lead. And they started asking amongst one another who's going to lead. One narration says that it even became kind of awkward for a moment. Nobody know, knew who should step forward and who should lead. Hatta qaddamu Muhammadan. Two narrations, one narration says that they, the anbiya themselves said Muhammad should lead. And then Jibreel salam, since he was the one who called the iqamah, he went over, grabbed the Prophet by his hand and pulled him forward into the position of the Imam to lead the prayer. And then the Prophet ﷺ led the prayer, and afterwards Jibreel ﷺ says, Kullu ba'athahu Allahu ta'ala qad sallu khalfak. That each and every single Prophet that Allah had ever sent just prayed behind you. Now that the prayer is over and everyone is sitting there, in the narration that is mentioned by Imam Hakim in his Mustadrak and Imam Bayhaqi in his Sunan, uh, and this is an authentic narration, it's authenticated. Abu Hurairah radiallahu ta'ala anhu relates that the Prophet said then said, arwah al That he met all the souls of the prophets, And then all the prophets after praying together, they began to speak of the praises of their Lord. They began to praise and glorify Allah. فَقَالَ Ibrahim. And so this is a really fascinating conversation. So now it's almost like prayer is done and they ha- they're having kind of like, you know, the post-salah, khatira, reflection, reminder. This is a reminder being given by prophets to prophets. So Ibrahim alayhi salam speaks first. And he says, "Alhamdulillahi ladhi khaleelan. That the ultimate praises are for Allah who took me as his best friend. وَأَعْطَانِي مُلْكًا عَظِيمًا And he granted me a very vast kingdom. وَجَعَلَنِي أُمَّةً بِي And he made me a nation that is obedient and submissive before God. And the word أُمَّةً umma", qanitan as the Qur'an refers to Ibrahim a.s. Even though the word ummah typically means a nation, like a group of people, the مُفَسِّرُون described that umma here refers to being a leader of people and being a teacher of good to people, that being someone that people can follow. بي, who, that I was followed by you know, mankind. And he saved me, protected me from the fire which of course he's talking about the fire that was lit as a punishment for him and he was thrown into, but Allah protected him. وَجَعَلَهَا بَرْدًا وَسَلَامًا And he made it cool and peaceful for me. ثُمَّ إِنَّ مُوسَى عَلَىٰ رَبِّهِ وَتَعَالَىٰ فَقَالْ Now that Ibrahim a.s. completes his, his reflection, Musa alayhi speaks up and he praises and glorifies Allah and then faqal and then he says, Alhamdulillah, taklima, that the ultimate praises for Allah who directly, audibly spoke to me. Bani ala yadi. And he made me the means of destroying fira'un and saving Banu Israel. He made me the direct means. The direct means of destroying the greatest enemy of God, Fir'aun, and he made me the direct means of saving tens of thousands of believers, the children of prophets, Auladul anbiya, who are Banu Israel. And he made from my followers, from my ummah, people who followed the truth and they established justice on the earth through that truth. ثُمَّ إِنَّ Dawood, عَلَيْهِ السَّلَامُ أَثْنَى Now Dawood salam speaks up. And he says, Alhamdulillah, The ultimate praises for Allah, who made for me a very vast, great, powerful kingdom. And he taught me the sacred text, the Psalms of David, the Zabur And he made uh, iron, very soft in my hands, meaning he gave me mastery over minerals and irons. That then, and he also made the mountains submissive before me. So that when I would praise God, I would praise Allah, the mountains and the birds would praise Allah along with me. Wa al wa al-. And he granted me wisdom and the ability to address people properly. ثُمَّ إِنَّ سُلَيْمَانَ عَلَيْهِ السَّلَامُ أَثْنَى عَلَى رَبِّهِ نُوح سُلَيْمَان عَلَيْهِ السَّلَامُ سبيكس اب AND HE SAYS الْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ الَّذِي سَخَّرَ لِيَ الرِّيَاحَ وَسَخَّرَ لِيَ الشَّيَاطِينَ وَالْإِنسَ يَعْمَلُونَ لِي مَا شِئْتُ مِنْ مَحَارِيبَ وَتَمَاثِيلَ وَجِفَانٍ كَالْجَوَابِ وَقُدُورٍ الرَّاسِيَاتِ and basically speaking from reference of the verses of the Qur'an, Sulaiman salam says, the ultimate praises for Allah, who's made submissive to me, who subjugated for me, put under my control the winds. And he put the shayateen, the evil jinn under my control. He put human beings under my command. And they would do whatever it is that I wanted them to do. From building things um, like like palaces, and sculptures, and diving into the ocean and bringing out pearls and gems and minerals, that whatever it is that I asked them to do, that they would do it. And he taught me the speech of birds. Basically, he gave me the ability to communicate with animals. And he granted me more than you can imagine from each and every single type of thing. وَسَخَّرَ لِي جُنُودَ الشياطين. And he put under my control the armies of the evil jinn wal-ins and human beings wal-tayr and birds. وَفَضَّلَنِي عَلَى كَثِيرٍ مِّنْ عِبَادِهِ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ And he granted me you know, uh virtue over many of his believing slaves. Wa لا and he granted me such a kingdom that is not fit for anyone after me. And he made my kingdom such a kingdom that there will be a beautiful kingdom. That there was no restriction in it, nor was there any type of repercussions of it. Bad repercussions or a bad, out, bad outcome of it. now Isa He speaks up and he says, Alhamdulillah Adam. Khalaqahu min That the ultimate praises for Allah who made me His word. That's basically an expression that's used in the Qur'an calling Isa a.s. the word of Allah, which means He is the miraculous outcome of the command of Allah. Born without a father, He is the miraculous consequence, outcome, manifestation of the command of God. مثل Adam. And he made my example, the example of Adam alayhi salam. That just like Adam alayhi salam was given creation, was given life miraculously, I was also given life miraculously. تراب, he created Adam alayhi salam from from clay, from dust. Qala له, Kun and then he said to him, Be, and he was. And Allah taught me, Isa <laughs> says, Allah taught me the book and wisdom. And some of the scholars mentioned that what's meant by book and wisdom is similar in the case of the Prophet that I was given divine revelation in And then wisdom is how to live that book. The sunnah of Isa alayhi salam. Some other scholars mention that in the case of Isa alayhi salam, al-kitab refers to the Torah and the hikmah refers to the Injil. The 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 gospel that was revealed to uh Isa alayhi salam. In either case, Allah Allahu ta'ala a'lam. وَالْتَوْرَاتَ وَالْإِنْجِيلِ And the Torah and the Injil. وَجَعَلَنِي أُبْرِئُ الْأَكْمَهَ وَالْأَبْرَصَ وَأُحْيِي الْمَوْتَ بِإِذْنِ اللَّهِ and He made me such that I am able to cure somebody who is born blind, and I am able to cure the leper, and I am able to revive the dead all by the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. wa وَطَهَّرَنِي and he elevated me, he raised me, and he purified me. And Allah protected me and my mother from shaitan who is dejected. And shaitan never had any access to us. Shaitan was never get, given any type of access to me or my mother. Now, so many different prophets of Allah have spoken up in this manner very beautifully. فَقَالَ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وسلم, So now the Prophet ﷺ speaks up. And he says, كُلُّكُمْ على ربه وإني على ربي. He said, each and every single one of you has praised his or her, uh, in this case it's all biya yeah, each and every single one of you has praised his Lord, so now I will praise my Lord. He said, the ultimate praises for Allah who sent me as a mercy for all of mankind. And He made me for all of mankind a deliverer of good news, a congratulator of mankind, and a warner to all of mankind. And He revealed, sent down to me, upon me, the distinguisher between right and wrong, that clearly defines and explains everything. أمتي أمتي and He made my followers the best of all nations and followers, who were brought out, extracted for the benefit of mankind. وَجَعَلَ أُمَّتِي وَسَطًا And he made my followers, my ummah, my nation, a very balanced people. وَجَعَلَ أُمَّتِي هُمُ الْأَوَّلُونَ والآخرون, And he made my followers the first and the last. The first to enter paradise and the last to come into this world. وَشَرَحَ لِي صَدْرِي And he expanded and opened my chest. He gave me clarity and confidence. وَوَضَعَ عَنِّي وَزْرِي and He removed my burdens from me. He lightened my load. He supported me. ali Dhikri. And He elevated my mention. He made it so that whenever any believer all across the world for centuries to come will ever mention my name, they will send peace and blessings upon me. fatihan wa khatiman. And He made me the opener and He made me the seal. He made me the opening and He made me the closing. He made me the one who will open the, uh, the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to all of humanity, all across the world. You can travel to any place. I was just talking to the brother who was telling me that he moved here from Maine. And due to the fantastic uh, educational system we have in America, most people don't even know where that is, right? But <laughs> it's, it's the uh, northernmost part of the United States. That there's a community there and that's still okay within America. You might imagine that or maybe you didn't. You can go to any part of the world and you'll find believers there. You'll find people praying there. You'll find Muslims there, any part of the world. So he, he, the Prophet says, he made me the opening, the one who will open the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to each and every single part of the world. Wa But he also made me a seal, the closing of the door of Nubuwa and Prophethood. This is what the Prophet ﷺ says, فَقَالَ إِبْرَاهِيمَ alayhi So Ibrahim says at this, And he says this is why Muhammad ﷺ has the most virtue amongst all of you. This is the status of Muhammad ﷺ amongst all of you. That this is why Allah has chosen him for this task. So this again shows the honor, the distinction. And just how empowering You know, I was just kind of thinking about this that, after everything the Prophet ﷺ had been dealing with in Makkah, just imagine what that must have felt like. Just imagine what that moment must have felt like. To sit with all the Prophets in a room, and then to be asked to lead them all in prayer, and then to sit and converse with them, and then to have someone like Ibrahim ﷺ, somebody that you look up to, someone that you admire, someone that you, named, you would name your son after. Then to have such a man, such a great man, that you are the outcome of his dua, you are the continuation of his legacy. He set the foundation that you have come to complete. To have that man say, you are the most exalted, you are the most virtuous, you are the highest ranking out of all of us. Just imagine how powerful of an experience that must have been for the Prophet Wasallam. Now the prophets are sitting there, so of course they have a conversation amongst them. So they talk about the hour, the end of times, the day of judgment. They all talked about the day of judgment and then they basically defer to Ibrahim alayhi That why don't you please tell us what you think? Fakala La biha. He says, I have no knowledge of when the day of judgment will occur. Musa then they turn to Musa He says I have no idea. فردوا أمرهم إلى عيسى عليه السلام. Then they turn to Isa فقال أما وجبتها فلا يعلمها إلا الله. So now Isa alayhi salam basically says that as far as when exactly it will happen, no one knows except for Allah. But he adds something here. Why? Because Isa will play a major role in the events that will unfold at the end of times. In the events preceding the day of judgment. That a lot of times, you know, especially, I always caution people, be very careful about how you look up things, especially when you go online, that you'll find all different types of ideas and notions. So there's this contention amongst uh, more contemporary Islam, you know, more contemporary um, ideas and thoughts, and um, and this basically stems from, you know, skepticism and rejection of hadith of the Prophet ﷺ that they basically argue about Isa ﷺ not coming back or not returning or whatever the case may be. Clear, authentic narrations of this nature, of this type, sub, you know, very substantially established the fact that Isa alayhi salam will return back at the end of times. And this is something foretold to us by the Prophet of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa So Isa alayhi salam, now he elaborates because he will play a role. He says, "Wafima ahida ilayya Rabbi." He said, from what my Lord has told me, instructed me, promised me, anna Kharijun, Dajjal, the Antichrist will come. Wa ma'ya and I will have two sticks. فَإِذَا يَذُوبُ And when he sees me, when Dajjal sees me, he will melt just like iron melts when it's put in the fire. He will melt just like iron melts when it's put in the fire. Allah will destroy him when he sees me. حَتَّى إِنَّ الْحَجَرَ Even so much so that even a stone will say, يَا مُسْلِمْ إِنَّ kafir كَافِرْ فَتَعَالَ فَقْتُلْهُ That even so much so that even the stones will say at that time, when the truth will be established at the end of times, that even a stone will say that, Oh believer in God, there is a disbeliever under me, so come and get him. اللَّهُ ثُمَّ يَرْجِعُ النَّاسِ إِلَى وَأَوْطَانِهِمْ And then Allah will basically... Uh, destroy these people who have opposed the religion of God, the truth from Allah, until people will finally return back to their homes and their, their lands, and at that time, once people have returned home and enjoyed peace for some time, Ya'juj wa will come out. This is a creation of Allah that basically has been stored away, locked away, and hidden by Allah. That this creation will be unleashed upon the earth. That from every hill you will see them flowing down, just like water flows down when it floods. When water hits and it floods, and I see water flowing down the hill, just in that way, waves of these of this creation of Allah will come flowing down the hills. That they will basically crush. And crumble and cover each and every single part of the land. So much so that whenever they come upon anything, they will destroy it. Whenever they come across any body of water, they will completely consume it all, they will drink it all. فَيَشْكُونَهُ 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 that then the people will return back to me to Isa Sam, The people, the believers will gather together again, and they will complain to me. Isa Sam says, they will come to me, and they will say, what are we supposed to do? They are ravaging the earth. Taala عَلَيْهِمْ I will make dua to Allah against this creation. فَيَهْلِكُهُمْ وَيُمِيتُهُمْ The other narrations kind of give some more context. That the believers will basically escape up to the mountains and live up in the mountains. But even after living there for quite some time, they will grow weary and tired of this. They will run out of food. They will face a lot of hardship. And then Isa says, I will make dua to Allah. Allah will... Kill them! This this creation of God that is devouring the earth, Allah will destroy them and kill them. Hatta <laughs> that basically the entire earth will be covered with their dead bodies, and it will begin to stink and stench because of their rotting corpses. taala <laughs> Matara, There's another narration that also says that birds will come in and pick up their dead bodies and throw them away into the oceans. But the, and then it will rain. taala al It will rain. Some narrations mention it will rain up to forty days continuously, washing, cleansing the earth. Fa, hatta That basically, that's what it mentions. That their bodies will be thrown into the ocean. Fa fima ahida That and my Lord told me that when all of this has happened. فَإِنَّ أَلْمُتِمْ That then the hour, the day of judgment, will be like a pregnant, will, the example of that will be like a pregnant female whose term of pregnancy has completed. That the family of that female, of that woman who is pregnant, who has completed her term of pregnancy, the family does not know. When they will be shocked, when they will be surprised by the birth of the child. Will it happen at night? Will it happen in the morning? Nobody knows. But how, like everyone waits on pins and needles, that then when all of these events have unfolded and realize it could happen at any moment, the day of judgment could unfold. So after this conversation occurs, The narration goes on to mention that the Prophet sits there for a while longer in Baytul Maqdis in Al Masjidul Aqsa and he becomes extremely thirsty. And the Prophet recalls that he had never felt such thirst in his entire life and he lives in the desert. But he had never felt such thirst in his entire life. So it's one narration mentions that two bowls were brought to him. But the more authentic narration, and there are multiple narrations, it mentions that three bowls were brought to the Prophet ﷺ, three cups. And the narration actually, one of them even mentions, مُغَطَّاتٍ أَفْوَهَهَا That the, 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 the mouths or the tops of the bowls were covered. So three bowls were brought to him Or three cups were brought to him And all three of them were covered And they were brought to the Prophet Wasallam. One was on the right One was in the middle One was on the left The Prophet Wasallam takes the first one And drinks from it And some of the narrations say That had water in it But majority of the narrations mention That it had honey in it the, the first cup on the right had honey in it And the Prophet Wasallam took a small sip from it And then he gave it back The middle bowl that the Prophet ﷺ moved on to next, he takes it and he begins drinking from it realizing that it has milk in it. And the Prophet ﷺ drinks the entire bowl of milk until he becomes full. And then he gives it back. And then the third bowl which is then pushed forward to him, he doesn't even touch it. He doesn't even take it. He says, no, no, I'm good. I'm completely full. No, thank you. And he just refuses to even take it. One of the narrations mentioned that Ibrahim is sitting there watching all of this. It describes him as a very elderly, handsome, you know, very honorable, distinguished looking man. And then he says that, you know, you've, you've done the right thing. And another narration mentions that Jibreel comes to the Prophet ﷺ, فَضَّارِبَ He grabs the Prophet by the shoulders. You know when you congratulate someone and you pat them on the shoulders? Like kind of grab them, you congratulate them. He pats the Prophet on the shoulders. Because you have to understand the relationship between the Prophet and Jibreel is one of friendship. The Prophet alluded to this a number of times. So he's like the friend of the Prophet So he pats the Prophet on the shoulders and he says, "Qad asabta, qad asabta. أَصَبْتَ You've done what was right, you've done what was right. Then he explains to him, and even for our benefit, it is explained clearly that the first bowl had honey. The first bowl had honey. And if you would have, you took a little bit from it. But if you would have indulged into it, if you would have indulged into it, your ummah would have drowned into the desires and the materialistic things of the world. It was representative of the sweetness, the temporary pleasure, the glitz and the glamour, the, the sweet temporary taste of the material things of this world. That you took a little bit from it because your ummah is meant to live in the world amongst all the blessings of Allah. And of course, take from the blessings of Allah, but in moderation. You know, it's kind of like that, that, that difference that they talk about whether you uh, eat to live or live to eat. So, this is the difference that your ummah will have to eat to live, but not live to eat. That's the difference. So you took a little bit from it to signify the fact that you have to live in the world and enjoy the blessings of Allah. But if you would have taken more from it, they would have drowned into just a indulgence within the desires of this world. The middle bowl that you took was milk. And that was representative of the guidance and the hidayah and the khair from Allah. The deen of Allah, the revelation, divine revelation, the Qur'an, the sunnah. And this has... Other examples in many other places. This is why, when the Prophet ﷺ would eat food or even drink water, Alhamdulillahi hadha min hawli wa Multiple other du'as, he would thank Allah. He would thank Allah that oh Allah. I, I, he would thank and praise Allah for giving him this blessing. But when the Prophet ﷺ would drink milk, Allahumma barakli fihi wa zidni minhu he would not only thank Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and say put barakah and blessing in it, but he would actually say and increase this upon me. Give me more of this. And that's why in multiple dreams, Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu ta'ala anhu had such a dream, the Prophet had such a dream, Abu Bakr radiallahu ta'ala anhu had such a dream, where they would see themselves drinking milk. And the Prophet sallallahu explained to them that milk is representative of knowledge and deen and guidance and hidayah. So the middle bowl that you took, drank from until you were completely full, that was representative of the guidance from Allah. And because of this, your ummah will enjoy the guidance from Allah. The Qur'an, the revelation, the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. And the third bowl that you didn't even touch, and because it was covered, because of that you didn't even know what was in it, but you just didn't feel the need to even take it in your hands, or uncover it or look inside, it actually had wine in it, fihi khamr. The third bowl it had wine in it. alcohol, intoxication. That's what it had in it. And if you would have even taken it, your ummah would have become lost. They would have lost their way. They would have become misguided. One other narration says that the people would not believe in you except for very little, if you would have taken that. Because it was representative of evil. And this is, there, there's so much to be said about here, there's so much that can be taken from this particular narration of, the, uh, uh, of this incident from the, sea, from the night of al-Isra al miraj Number one, is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the world that He's put us in, there are three elements that exist in this world. There is the guidance from Allah, the deen of Allah, divine revelation, the sunnah of the Prophet Islam, deen. And that is our basis, that is our foundation, that is who we are, that is how we identify ourselves. Then the second thing that exists in this world that we have to interact with is the permissible. The permissible, the mubah. That which is permissible, halal, mubah, it's okay, it's permissible, it's from the blessings of Allah, no doubt. But it is just there for us to access and take from and benefit from as needed. And it's permissible, it's open. And we've been given a lot of leeway with that. We've been, we've been granted a lot of discretion as to how and how much we interact with that. The third element that exists in this world that we live in is the impermissible. And what's really fascinating is this, the default, even in Nusulul fiqh when you study it, the default ruling for things is for things to be permissible, for things to be allowable. For things to be permissible, for things to be allowable. That is the default ruling for things. The, the, The impermissible things are actually a minority of things that Allah has created. It is an extremely small, minor list of things that is impermissible, that is forbidden. And that's why as I said before, the default is for things to be allowed. But what's very fascinating is that, first of all, it's very, very few things that have to be avoided that are impermissible. And that was again represented here by this wine, this alcohol. And like the Prophet ﷺ completely avoided it, that's what we've been tasked with. We have not been tasked with, you know, kind of poking at it. You know, we do that. We've been told, you know, alcohol is impermissible. Khamar wine is impermissible. So can you then sell it if you can't drink it? What if it's just a little percentage? We just keep poking at it. We keep playing with it. We play with fire. Can I put my finger in it just a little bit? Can I hold my hand over it? Can I get close to it? Can I do this with it? Can I do it? we're always poking, playing with fire. Riba, usury, interest, haram. Now we just keep poking with it. We keep playing with it. Can I? Can I? What about this? What if I do it like this? What if I what if I what if I just, you know, put a glove on and then play with it? What if I take a stick and then poke it with it? Constantly messing with things. When the Prophet ﷺ is teaching us a methodology here, stay away from it. Don't even touch it. And it will not compromise the quality of your life. It cannot compromise the quality of your life. Because you're talking about an extremely small minority of things. So it's just intelligence and common sense that is being taught to us here. When it comes, now now that's the level that majority of us as an ummah that we're on. We're just trying to stay away and avoid those things that are clearly impermissible. But once we've graduated past that level, the second level is that which is permissible, that which is allowable. Then even within that learning to practice moderation. As the Prophet ﷺ took a sip of the honey and then left the rest, because I don't need more than that. Drinking more than taking more than that will actually could end up resulting in in some type of harm. And this is what the Quran teaches us: "Kulu washrabu walatu slifu." The Prophet ﷺ taught us that excess, when something is okay, something is can even initially even be good, but over indulging in anything becomes harmful. The only thing that there is that there is only good, intrinsically good, inherently good, no matter how much you engage with it or access it, it is only good and good and good, khair. And that is the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so these are the three elements of the world we live in. And the Prophet Alaihi on that beautiful night, he basically taught us all three of these things. And he taught us how to interact. He took a little bit of the honey, drank from the milk as much as he could. So when it comes to the luxuries or just the pleasures of the life of this world, even if they are halal and permissible, don't overindulge. You will get lost. But take as much as needed. The middle thing, which the milk which was representative of the deen of Allah, he drank to his fill. He took as much as he could. The third thing, which was the wine and the alcohol, didn't even touch it, let alone look at it. He wouldn't even get near it. That there's a profound lesson in how to live our lives on that night. And that's what was that's why the Prophet ﷺ said, Qadakhada Sahibuqa al Fitra. Ibrahim ﷺ said that your friend, he told Jibreel ﷺ, your friend has stuck to the fitra. He stuck to the, the, the inherent nature that God has instilled within man. Wa innahu Wa innahu excuse me. And he says that he is most definitely guided by Allah. And one other lesson that some of the scholars explained that needs to be taken from here, is Jibreel salam says to the Prophet minhum illa illa al That if you would have drank from the wine, your ummah would have been lost and very few would have followed you. That there's a deep or profound lesson here. That if the Prophet is meant to be the deliverer of this message to people, a guider of mankind, then he himself engaging in inappropriate activities such as drinking this, would minimize the impact and the effect of his message upon the people. So very implicitly, it teaches us the lesson. Of course, the Prophet was an exemplar of this. He was the, the model of perfection when it came to living what you preach. But the lesson is being taught to us that if you don't live what you preach, You know, not only will you be accountable before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for this, but don't underestimate the fact that even the impact of what you preach to the people will become minimized because you do not practice what you preach. And it's a very powerful lesson in that. So now after this entire interaction happens, ثُمَّ أُتِيَ بِالْمِعْرَاجِ Then a staircase was brought to the Prophet this is the same staircase that all the souls of the children of Adam take up, going up to the heavens. And the Prophet ﷺ recalled that he never saw anything more beautiful than, the, than that staircase. It was so ornate, it was so gorgeous, it was so unbelievable, so intricate and ornate it was breathtaking he was like he just was shocked by how beautiful it was lahum min fiddatin wa min one step was made of gold and the other step was made of silver and it was completely decorated another narration actually says excuse me um, the narration of abu sa'id al-khudri radiAllahu ta'ala anhu actually says bil mi'raj min jannatil that he was brought with the staircase that not only was one step of gold and one step of silver, but the entire staircase was fixed with gems and jewels and pearls and rubies and diamonds from Jannatul Firdaus. On both sides of the staircase, angels were lined up. Angels were lined up like a, like a royal escort. هُوَ وَجِبْرِيلِ so Jibreel and the Prophet began to climb up these stairs, go up these stairs. حَتَّى إِنْتَهَيَا إِلَىٰ بَابٍ مِّنْ أبواب Until they finally reached the, they reached a gate, they reached a door, that was the gate and the door of the sky of this earth. يُقَالَ لَهُ بَابُ الحفظة. And the door, the gate, that is that accesses from this world into the sky of this dunya sama'u dunya, is called Babul Hafaza, the door of protection. Wa alayhi malakun, and there is an angel who is in charge of that gate. lahu Ismail, his name is actually Ismail. Wa huwa he is the gatekeeper of the sky of this world. Wa fi Ja'far, this part is unbelievable. In the hadith of Ja'far that's mentioned by Imam al-Bayhaqi, he actually mentions, يَسْكُنُ الْهَوَىٰ فَلَمْ يَصْعَدْ إِلَى السَّمَاءَ وَلَمْ إِلَى الْأَرْضِ قطت. That this angel Ismail, he hovers there in the sky. He hovers there in the sky in front of this door, keeping watch on this gate. He never goes up further into the heavens, nor does he has, has he ever come down onto the earth ever, except with one occasion illa except for the day the prophet passed away that this angel who from the from the beginning of the creation of this dunya whatever however many millennia or millions of years allah ta'ala alam bi sawab only allah knows best but since this dunya was created and this angel was appointed at that position, he never moved from that door except for one occasion when the Prophet ﷺ passed away. He came down to the earth to attend and to visit the Prophet ﷺ on that day. Wa And this angel, this angel, how powerful is he? And what type of a grand welcome was afforded to the Prophet ﷺ on this night that this angel has an entire army at his disposal? There are 70,000 angels that are assigned to the detail of this gatekeeper of the sky of this world. And each of these 70,000 angels has another 100,000 angels under his command. So Ismail has an army of 70,000 commanders, colonels who each are commanders over 100,000 more angels, each of them. And he has 70,000 commanders under his command. And he is at the head of them. And they are all guarding the Sama of this dunya, keeping separate from the sky what is from this world. And the Prophet ﷺ approaches this gate. And this is from where he enters. The journey of Mi'raj has now started. We're gonna go ahead and pause here and stop here. Inshallah, we'll continue the hadith uh, next week. I apologize for kind of stopping here, cutting short. But uh, I had a couple of teeth extracted today. So uh, I'm gonna go ahead and stop here before I start forgetting what I was talking about because I've taken a lot of painkillers. Alhamdulillah. Um, so inshallah we'll go ahead and stop here And then we'll continue from here Next week ta'ala. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala Give us all the ability to practice Everything that's been said and heard Subhanallah wa bihamdihi Subhanakallah wa bihamdik Nashadu la ilaha illa anta Nasagfirka wa natubu